Hey, Sunridge. Hez, thank you so much. Definitely glad that I get to see you and the handful of people that are here in the room right now. Uh, but as Hez said, this is, this is definitely odd. It's not the same. I know that Britt has commented on that week after week, and now it's my turn to suffer. And so I'm going to do my very best to be right there in it with you, Sunridge, and I appreciate you being in it with me. Uh, my name is Jed, and it is an absolute privilege and honor to get to serve as one of our pastors on staff. And for the last several weeks, and as Heather said, they have felt like eternity upon eternity and year after year, we have been doing our very best to adapt and to adjust and acclimate and to be in it as best as we can. And so our series in this time has been called The New Normal. And this new normal uh, has gone through many iterations already, and it still doesn't feel normal to me. I don't know if it feels normal to you, but it certainly doesn't feel normal to me yet. And that's part of what we're going to be talking about this morning. If, if you haven't had the chance, I'd encourage you to go back into our sermon archives over the last few weeks, sunridgechurch.org, and go back and revisit some of those sermons. Uh, I've told Britt in this time that those have been some of my favorite sermons that he has taught uh, in the time that he's been here, and he's gotten to be our lead pastor and be in my life. And so again, if you have not heard those, please go back to sunridgechurch.org and watch them, uh, because this is a continuation of it. So I don't know about you, but uh, I can struggle sometimes to make decisions. And when it comes to decision-making, I have different ways in my life that I want to go about and make those decisions. Uh, if, you, if you struggle with making decisions, why don't you put that in the comment box? Uh, say, I struggle to make decisions too. And if you're not sure about typing that in because you struggle to make decisions, go ahead and do that right now. Uh, there are lots of ways that we can make decisions. And I think up there with the very best of them, prayer, seeking wise counsel, maybe risk, cost, benefit analysis. Uh, there's a method that works maybe just as well as those, and it's called having a quarter. And so if, if you came prepared because you actually read our e-blasts, and you have a lot of time to read, so I'd encourage you to read those on Thursday after they get sent out. Uh, Britt asked me, or asked you, excuse me, to, to bring a quarter. And I asked you to bring a quarter uh, to this message. Now, if you don't have one, that's okay because you're in front of a computer, and I don't know that you don't have one, and uh, you can put heads or tails. So I'm going to put up a question, and the question is heads or tails? So we're going we're gonna to flip these quarters, and if I drop my quarter, I've got another one here, and so it'll just be a little bit clunky, but I'm going to flip this thing, and why don't you flip yours, and if you don't have one, why don't you just tell us whether or not you like heads or tails better? You guys good with it? Let's do it. Hey, caught it. Heads. I like heads. It's the truth. And I, I didn't uh, skim this thing. Heads, to me in this moment, stands for Chick-fil-A. And tail stands for In-N-Out. And if you're trying to wonder what to do for lunch this morning, I'd encourage you to go with that decision. And why don't you, in the comment box, why don't you share whether or not you would go to Chick-fil-A or In-N-Out. And if you choose the latter, just know that we might love you as much. Take your quarter and... Uh, Let's flip it again, shall we? Darn. I got heads. Why don't you put in the comment box what you just flipped? Heads or tails? 
You see, when it comes to decision-making or choices, you know, I'd say 10 out of 10 times or 100 out of 100 times, if I knew what this head's represented next, I definitely wouldn't pick it. What if in this scenario, heads equaled suffering? Security, excuse me, entails equaled suffering. Well, if I remembered my heads and tails, then I actually would be happy. Because we know that security and safety and stability, that's what we want. So I'm actually now glad that I flipped heads. But if I flipped it again, I got security, and I flipped it again, and I got security, and I flipped it again, I finally got suffering. The reality is we know I'm going to get that at some point. And you know it too. So which would you rather choose? Heads? Tails? I don't know if that question matters so much anymore. Because I'm pretty sure that for most of us, regardless of what we want to think or say, we're probably, probably living in a tails kind of world. Here's another question. What do you think Jesus chose? When you think about Jesus and his decision-making, his choices, heads or tails? Security, stability, safety, or suffering? Sadness. Now here's the reality. I don't think that that answer is quite as simplistic as we might want to make it to be. And so I'll return to that in a little bit. But before we get there, may I remind you that even though it doesn't feel like this season, it's actually Palm Sunday today. We're actually a week removed from what's termed the Super Bowl of Christianity. Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. It's Palm Sunday today. And yet I'm sitting in a big worship center room. Not many people here. So I want to center myself and us on the passage of Scripture that we probably would have been reading this morning. And then we'll talk through what this has to do with today and more than just being Palm Sunday. I'm going to read some of it and then a portion of it's going to pop up on your screen. Matthew 21, it says, not yet there, Megs, but when they had come near Jerusalem and had reached Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go into the village ahead of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt wither. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, just say this, the Lord needs them. And he will send them immediately. This took place to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Look, your king is coming to you humble and mounted on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And this was what should be up on your screens. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put their cloaks on them, and he sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and that followed were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in turmoil, asking, Who is this? And the crowds were saying, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. 
what do we do with today being Palm Sunday and us having a reading that is so celebratory, that is so effusive and loud, that has exclamation points written all over it in feeling and in tone. On a morning where Ben and Levi, who are going to lead worship later, would have been flanked with a whole team where the songs would have been joyous and the shouts loud. And are you feeling some of that? You might be enjoying this time in the comfort of your home, but is anyone else feeling the oddity of this being Palm Sunday? You know, what's funny to me is that in actuality, when we think about Palm Sunday, it really is an ironic day. Because when we come and we celebrate and we think about this moment where this mega large crowd in the Greek, it would be the the biggest crowd of them all, is coming to greet Jesus. Their expectations and their hope as they throw their cloaks on the ground, as the palm branches are cut and then placed before them. As we see Matthew here writing and alluding to passage after passage in the Hebrew scriptures that would have announced the arrival, the coming of the king, this Messiah, the irony is that it's lost on every single person there that this is not exactly or entirely what it seems to be. Jesus rides in quietly because as they're shouting and screaming and praising, he knows that something different is about to happen. He knows that over the course of the next several days, Many in that crowd will have done a number of things. Those same people, they'll either be frightened and hiding in their homes or joining the raucous voices that scream out, crucify him. Or sitting around campfires or in rooms wondering what in the world happened. It wasn't supposed to be this way. Disappointment. Confusion. Any of us feeling like maybe we were living in a Palm Sunday type of world? I know that that even in that time, that even though people were celebrating on the streets, I know, I know that it's not as if reality had escaped those individuals. I know that there were still broken homes. I know that there were still marriages where the certificate of divorce was about to be placed. I know there were still children who were struggling with whether or not they could actually honor their father or whether they're going to shame their family name. I know there were still individuals dealing with sickness who were confronted with death. I know that there were folks who were wondering when their suffering would end. And yet the scene, the picture, the large picture that everyone saw was celebration and goodness. Just like our lives, right? Just like it would have been if we had come in on this Palm Sunday, right? Singing and praising, worshiping, when behind closed doors, perhaps, we knew where the quarter had landed, that there was illness and sickness that wasn't called COVID, chronic pain, autoimmune disease, cancer, that there were still financial woes, people being unemployed, Marriage is falling apart. Children, wives being abused. Addictions running rampant. People struggling with their schoolwork, 
identity, loneliness. It was all here. It was here the whole time. And us being in this season doesn't mean that suddenly it's, it's here. No, 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 it's, it's been here. Maybe we just see it clearly and differently now, don't we? Magnified, amplified. Maybe the tail's part of the quarter just seems so much bigger and larger. In preparing for this weekend, I had to ask myself, you know, what kind of message would I bring to our church? If it's a message called, it's our turn to endure, how could I do that well? Because I know the reality is everyone wants a message of hope. We all do. We do. I feel it. I know it. We need it. But most of us, we're in denial. We're in denial about the reality of hurt that assumes that if we want a message of hope, well, then we're, we're, we're calling out and crying out from a place of hurt and longing for healing. That when we say we want hope, we are in effect saying, I need help. We might not want to say, this is what I need help for, but that's what we're saying. Can you type that out in your comment box? That I want a message of hope? Just type that out right now. I understand that you want a message of hope. But when I was thinking about the things that I could share with our church, I realized I really don't have good words. I really don't have too many good words for this season that we're in. And so today, instead of just speaking at this camera, you're going you're gonna, to you're realize that over the next several minutes, I'm actually going to I'm gonna bring forward scripture that's always been here. The stuff that's here, the, the stuff that's in our story, remembering that Israel, that name literally means to wrestle, to struggle with God. That it's our spiritual heritage and legacy to be honest about the hurt, to not just be calling forth for hope. And I would tell you that as one of the pastors in our church, that part of my responsibility in fact, is to not be as I would be inclined to be in this moment and to just want to shepherd into hope. That's important, but for this Sunday, just like Jesus would know as he is writing in, he knows that something else is happening. And just like the prophets in the Old Testament who recognize that it's just not their role to say all the nice things that maybe we can look back on some of their words and hear, that it's our turn to experience this. It's our turn to know. We don't always just have to pretend. Our social media feeds, they don't just have to have a certain type of picture or a certain video. That despite what you want to put out into the world, there's more there in your universe. Isaiah 56, verse 10. God through the prophet says, Isaiah's sentinels are blind. They're all without knobs. They're all silent dogs. They cannot bark, dreaming, lying down, loving to slumber. The dogs have a mighty appetite. They never have enough. The shepherds also have no understanding. They've all turned to their own way, to their own gain, one and all. Come, they say, let us get wine. Let us fill ourselves with strong drink. And tomorrow will be like today, great beyond measure. 
this is spoken in a time where people are in denial. It sounds like us, maybe. Sounds like something I might see on social media if I were on it. Look at this scene in Isaiah 39. Isaiah is speaking to Hezekiah. Here's the word of the Lord of hosts. Days are coming when all that is in your house and all that which your ancestors have stored up until this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And some of your own sons who are born to you shall be taken away. And eunuchs in the palace of Babylon. Then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, The word of the Lord that you have spoken is good. For he thought, There will be peace and security in my days. Isaiah is being pretty clear. Hard stuff is coming. What we would know is the beginning phases of the Babylonian exile, which informs so much of the struggle of the nation of Israel, in particular that southern kingdom of Judah. It's coming. It's being spoken to, attested to. And here is this king listening to those words and going, the word of the Lord that you've spoken is good. For he thought incorrectly, there will be peace and security in my days. Jeremiah chapter 23. 16, thus says the Lord of hosts, do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you. They are deluding you. They speak visions of their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. They keep saying to those who despise the word of the Lord, it shall be well with you. And to all who stubbornly follow their own stubborn hearts, they say no calamity shall come upon you. I understand that it's not helpful to proof text these things. And to drop them into our world and say, see, 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 calamity, it's coming upon us. We're not the nation of Israel, we're not the southern kingdom of Judah. Babylon isn't coming. But do you see and hear in Scripture that has been here, and this is just scratching the surface of it, there is so much of this. Consider the Psalms. Consider all of the prophets. Consider that the majority, the majority of our scripture reads closer to this, and yet we have our favorites. We have the Jeremiah 29, 11 about hope in the future, which we've taught on before. The entirety of that passage is actually speaking to what they're going to have to endure. And so I have this question for you. What hurts are you in denial of? What's tales for you? You could say COVID, but I'm pretty sure that's just a piece of it. I've had the privilege of me and Mal, and my wife, we've got some great people in our life, and two figures that have become really important to us Lisa Owens and Heather Fretz, they're like big sisters to me. And I adore their husbands as well, Matthew and then Nate. And I love these people. I can't believe that I've had the opportunity to have them in my life, and particularly this season and this stage. And when we've spent time with them, one of the things that I've really appreciated is the level of honesty that's come forward with, with struggle. And with hurt. And with Heather and Lise, in particular this week, one of the things that they were sharing about were all the things that they and 
themselves and their husbands and their kids, what they were lamenting, what they were losing in this season. And I had put that question down in, in my notes that morning before spending time with them. And then when I heard them express their hurts and put names to their losses, it became even more real to me. And our staff in the last week, we've been led through this exercise where Lisa is having us name our losses. And the things that people are sharing that this season in particular has taken away, they're painful. There's a lot of loss. And we can understand how the stages of grief work. We can think about denial and then anger and then bargaining and depression and acceptance. But what people don't understand about the stages of grief is that they were never intended. If you look at the originals who spoke to these things, Kessler and E.K. Ross, they, they were never intended to just go from one thing to the next. It wasn't like you just went from denial to anger. No, no, no. Their, their expression of these stages of grief was actually so much more complex and nuanced than that. It was that as we as human beings, we'd be turned into this cycle over and over and over again. And actually the first book that they wrote together wasn't about grieving the loss of someone else. It was framed because they spent time with people dying on their deathbeds. And they realized there might be something else for us to consider while we're alive. Lessons from the dying. But other things have died in this season, have they not? Dreams for school. Jobs people were really excited about. Friendships. Bank accounts, retirement accounts. Vacations that were planned. Impending retirement that now those experiences, they just can't happen. Uh, sports games that were supposed to be played. Uh, there's no shortage of them. And, and if you have the courage in you, why don't you put down in the comment box? I'll give you a moment. Go ahead and name that loss. What's a hurt that you don't need to be in denial of? I'll be quiet for just a sec. Share it. Something about saying it, right? It's on the screen, but something like a Psalm 69 that would say, Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire where there's no foothold. I've come into deep waters and the flood sweeps over me. I'm weary with crying. My throat is parched. My eyes grow dim with waiting for my God. Or a Psalm 42 that says, why is my soul downcast within me? Again, there's no shortage of places that name things and losses. But let me get back to this quarter. 
and that question earlier about what did Jesus choose? Security or suffering? And maybe a lot of us would be inclined to say, well, he chose suffering. I mean, that's what Palm Sunday is headed toward. I was supposed to give our Good Friday message this year because I wasn't going to be teaching this Sunday. It would have been a different time. Everything's thrown off. And on Good Friday, I would have shared about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, throwing himself on the ground, asking God to take it away. So then, was he choosing suffering or was he choosing security? Placing himself in the will of the Father, saying, not mine, but yours, be done. Here's the reality. It's not just Jesus chose suffering or Jesus chose security in the Father. No, no, no. You see, heads or tails isn't the question. This is a quarter. And you might be seeing one side of it. You might be seeing heads. You might be seeing security and safety. But just remember that on the other side of it, there's the reality of suffering, that your security and your safety is held up by something you cannot see. And then at some point in time, when that security and that safety and stability seems to be taken away from you and you're suffering, it's right there. You're longing to get that back. And so when I say Jesus didn't choose just suffering or security, what I'm saying is Jesus chose endurance. Jesus chose endurance, which is to say that he is salvation. That's the gospel message. It's that he chose to do the thing that we would not want to choose to do. Because even when things look secure and stable, you are still needing to endure with the fact that you cannot see what is right in front of you. And even though Jesus Christ knew what was coming, even though he knew exactly what was coming, he still had to live it and hurt it and weep it and cry out in it. So my preference for the word endure is actually spelled this way. I like spelling it wrong. I like seeing endure instead of endure. And what's funny is that etymologically endure, I-N-D, that prefix, is actually the earliest of ways that this word would have began to involve. And I think there's a reason why we like to see the latter version, the version that we have. Because I think when we see that version, it says something else to us. So here's where I'm going to try and start speeding through this message because we don't have all day. But if it's our turn to endure, it means we're in the thick of it without the end necessarily in sight. You see that? We are in it, the thick of it. Psalm 79, how long, oh Lord. I want to get out of this quarantine too. Type that out in your comment box. How long, oh Lord. Jeremiah 12, how long will the land mourn and the grass of every field wither for the wickedness of those who live in the animals and the birds are swept away and because people said he is blind to our ways. What about Habakkuk chapter 1? O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not listen or cry, or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see wrongdoing and look at trouble? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arrive so the law becomes slack and justice never prevails. The wicked surround the righteous. Therefore judgment comes forth 
perverted. Or Joel chapter 1, put on sackcloth and lament, you priests, wail, you ministers of the altar, come, pass the night in sackcloth, you ministers of my God, grain offering and drink offering are withheld from the house of your God. Sanctify a fast, call a solemn assembly, gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land to the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. It's in our scripture. It's all over. But I know and believe that God has something for us in this. And so enduring isn't just about being in the thick of it and not necessarily having the end inside. This is what endurance can look like. It means that we go back and forth between intensity of purpose and intensely feeling pain. There are going to be moments in this season where when our hearts are aligned with what is happening and God being in it, we are going to feel a sense of conviction and hope and certainty. We are going to remember all of the passages of scriptures that we could just rattle off because those are the ones that we have heard. Those are the ones that we cling to. Those are the ones that we love. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4. But we have this treasure in jars of clay so it may be made clear that this extraordinary power belongs to God and does not come from us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be also made visible in our bodies. For while we live, we are always being given up to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus may be made visible in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. We'll feel that at times. We'll trust it. We'll believe it. And then other times we'll sound like Psalm 142. With my voice I cry to the Lord. With my voice I make supplication to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before him. I tell my trouble before him. When my spirit is faint, you know my way. I know for me, when I'm working out, when I'm in the thick of it, there are times when I'm counting those reps and they're going high. I'm in it. I'm in it. I know why I'm doing it. I know why I'm hurting. I know why I'm struggling. I know what I'm building for, but I can guarantee you there are times when it hurts so bad that I absolutely want to stop. And I start saying in my mind that I will reap what I sow. There are those times in my life when it's more than just working out like a season like this. And I don't want to cling to verses of hope because I just want to read the lament. I just want to hear the struggle. But here's the last thing. We're accepting in all of this an invitation to transform. Going through this turning over and over and over again is us saying, God, I'm going to take up your invitation to actually change, to actually transform. Because me just having it my way, me just getting what I want, will not produce in me. So here's the final thing that I'd like us to consider. When it comes to endurance, it's not just our turn to endure. It's not just our turn to struggle. I'd like us to consider that the thrust of the season that we're in, that so much of what it means to actually long to know and understand God is to realize that the whole time, it's not like he was just putting us through things to endure. 
But instead, God's the one. He's the one who's endured. Look at this last passage of Scripture before I invite Lisa up. They've turned their backs to me and not their faces. When the time of their troubles, they say, come and save us. You know, the best part about this is the Bible doesn't end there. We know that even though God is expressing of this reality, that we have absolutely often turned our backs to him, and then we cry out for him to save us, we understand and know that the thrust of this season that we're in reminds us that he did not just endure for all of history. He endured something else that we celebrate on Palm Sunday. He goes and he finishes what he started. And so for you and I, as we endure this time, as we consider what is before us, may we look to the one who has already held us for longer than this moment. And if he has held us before this, if he has held us through that hurt and through that pain, he is absolutely not just going to hold us in this. He is going to transform us through it. Sunridge Community Church and whoever is watching in this season, this may be the oddest Palm Sunday and Easter season you have ever been a part of, but I would implore you to consider this may be the best of times because it feels like the worst of it. Keep flipping that quarter, but not because you're asking for something different to happen, but because you're remembering that in all of the turmoil and the up and down, God's so much more than a piece of metal. He's much realer than that.